Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, I have Jeff Howie here. Jeff, thanks for taking time out of your Friday. Always a pleasure to be here. And we're going to focus on a very important topic that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So, in Leading Agile, in our approach to Agile transformation, there are three core things that must we believe must be present for us to be able to help a, a customer or a client reach a state of business agility. And what are those three things, Jeff? They are backlogs, teams, and working tested product. Okay, yeah. So we need a um, cross-functional stable team. We need a well-formed product backlog and the ability to consistently make and meet commitments. So the thing I want to talk about is a well-formed product backlog because that sounds awesome and it would look great on a marquee, but what does it actually mean? And before you answer the question, I forgot to ask you to tell these fine people who you are. Yes. So Jeff Howey, managing consultant here at Leading Agile. I think I'm in year five of my tour here. And uh, yeah, so currently working with a number of different clients. So oftentimes end up with just one kind of embedded, but right now working with a number of different uh, areas in a couple of different industries, even though, which is super fun. And then I've got teams of folks helping to, to move that forward and really help our clients build out these rationalized, prioritized, well-formed backlog so that they can figure <laughs> out what to do, how to do it, and then uh, you know, kind of reduce the chaos and the churn for the teams that have to go build the software. And you also spend a lot of time working on internal stuff to help new folks get up to speed on how all this, the leading agile approach, right? I do, yes. Yeah. So we have our own backlog of things that we're working on. Um, and I was just remarking before we started the recording about how one of those backlogs isn't terribly well-formed and that led me to a rather <laughs> cranky conversation this morning. So, you know, this is perfect timing and, and a, a really good reminder, even for folks like myself who've done this for years, that it's something that's not, you know, once and done and it, it takes work and hard effort to uh, maintain. All right. So how would you characterize a well-formed backlog? What are, what are some symptoms people would expect to see if they had one? If they had one. Yeah. Yes. So I would expect... First off, that uh, it's it's prioritized, and so I could easily in my backlog look at something at, at the top of my backlog if I'm visualizing that, you know, whether it's a wall with a bunch of sticky notes, the top is the most important, or I've got some tool and I'm you know sorting things, so I know what's the most important, what's the next thing the team needs to start to pull into uh, their process and, and, and into development. Another is that it needs to be uh, linked to what is important to the organization. And so, and, and that's a really interesting conversation we could go down or not at some point here, but uh, you know, what, what does it mean to be important? So there's all of these different influences. You've got, you know, business folks with, you know, there are 10 different opinions about what's important. You know, everyone's got a number one priority. We as a team, we've got things that we've got to do to just maintain and, and move forward and keep, you know, our, our systems alive, keep the lights on. So, that's got to be part of it. Uh, and then there's this other stuff that it's it's just kind of normal operational type things that if we don't do, we start to incur technical debt uh, or other painful decisions. So I need to prioritize all of those. So I need it prioritized. But that's Another, multiple dimensions though. It is, isn't it? And so so it's really tough to get that, but that's, I think, critical to, you know, that, that especially that product ownership role is making sure that they're aware of all of those different influences, all of those different dimensions, how they're dependent on one another, uh, or 
maybe not even dependent in, in many cases, but if I don't do this thing, there's some inherent badness that's going to happen later on. So, you know, thinking about business priority, thinking about the team's priority, thinking about all of those super critical, super hard. So the project manager in my brain is wondering if we should have some sort of scoring mechanism for each, like basically value category that we can define. Is that, I mean, because that's what yeah. my, the project manager is saying and the agile part of my brain is screaming no. <laughs> so you're, you're going to touch on some controversial topic there. So it depends on kind of, I think, the lens you apply. And, and you and I probably think similarly given uh, our experiences and, and what we experience in the field even in day-to-day life is that I've got to be able to prioritize these. So, in, and I was just working with a client uh, recently where they have some, at the organizational level, they have some revenue objectives. And so okay. they've got a lot of projects, a lot of you know features, which of course come into my backlog in, in the form of stories tied to these revenue drivers. And some of these are, you know, multi-million dollar revenue opportunities. At the same time, that organization has some super critical productivity needs. If they don't hit these needs, their their costs to operate, their costs to maintain, uh, their staffing profiles is just constant growth and cost. And so each one of those is important, but if you put uh, say a $100,000 revenue opportunity in terms of a feature up against the $10,000 productivity feature, you know if you're just looking at dollars, uh, you will never get the productivity measures. Uh, and then if you take that and you put it up against, say, some kind of like end-of-life feature where I've got to upgrade, patch, replace some system, or you know, I'm going to go out of support in two years, but it's going right. to take me a long time to work at that, there's really no productivity or revenue tied to that, but it's super critical that if I don't, someday I'm going to have to have a whole team that's providing support, and so I've, I'm incurring technical debt and future costs. So. Okay. Some form of determining, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, what's my weighted shortest job first, cost of delay, but it's it's multiple dimensions in that scoring metrics. As well. And I, I personally like making numbers the enemy, not me as the product owner the enemy. Okay. So if I can put some valuation on those and I've got some measure that I can apply and I can do some math, I can then get to a number that helps me to drive the conversation doesn't mean that my 3.4 is always going to be more important than my 3.2s, but it certainly helps to shape the conversation about us talking around priority of those items versus things that are coming out at a 0.8, for example. Yeah, and, you, right? and you can also make sure the people who don't get what they want know how you're scoring things so it becomes their responsibility to raise their score. Right. Yeah. How could I, if, if I'm the requester of some of those needs, how can I make that more valuable to the outcomes of the whole organization, not necessarily just my you know, personal need, my department, my business unit? It's how can I tie that back to the whole organization? Okay. So we've got this bunch of stuff. It's estimated. Does it all have to be estimated? Or is, uh, let, me, let me ask that differently. How many how many times in the last 10 years have you had a product backlog where every single thing in it was estimated? Never once. Uh, <laughs> so there's there is always more work in the backlog than we will ever be able to do. Uh, the minute even if I imagined I could get everything estimated, which probably would take more time away from from the team than than is is necessary or possible. 
uh, tomorrow I come in and there's 10 more things, right? So yeah. it's constantly evolving. What we really need to have is a delivery team. I'm looking for usually at like a scrum team, delivery team level, three, four, five sprints worth of stuff that's estimated. I've worked with a couple teams where we needed six because I, I really needed to be a, and do more like a quarterly type plan. So okay. having that much forward estimated was great. If I can be a little bit more iterative, I've got a more frequent release, you know, kind of cycle. Maybe I just need the two or three sprints worth. So I, I know what's going to go in my next, you know, one or two releases. Okay. That's that at that story level, right? And that then okay. of course is tied to my feature and epic roadmaps, which are definitely looking much further out because a lot of those those require a lot of conversation, feature definition and breakdown, story mapping work, and those don't just happen overnight. Okay. So We've got estimates, we've got everything prioritized and and across the organization, people know how we're prioritizing and there's some mechanism for making sure that ties back to company strategy. Um, I'm going to come back in a few minutes to the Epic feature roadmap thing, but before we go there, what are are other characteristics of a well-formed product backlog item? Uh, the, The one I'd be looking at next is shared understanding. And so nothing more frustrating for, uh, delivery team to go in and and have a story in front of them that has a lot of words, you know, product owners probably done a ton of due diligence, sat down with, you know, subject matter experts, made sure that this made sense to them, but is the the recipient of that and the person who's then expected to go deliver, not knowing exactly what that means. Uh, So, so really clear and shared understanding. Uh, and then the, the flip side of that is, and, and I was guilty of this a lot as a product owner, was giving way too much information. My delivery team saying, dude, we know this. You don't need to tell us, you know, these 400 <laughs> things. Uh, here's what I really have a question about. So the other side is really rationalizing that to the level of need of the team. And so and you're gonna, a, and that's something you're going to have to learn by working with. I mean, it's going to be different for each team, right? Different for each team. I do believe teams will mature and that kind of dynamic will change. Some of that may be uh, subject specific. So a product they're working on all the time, constantly understand business rules, probably a little bit different than, you know, one of these maybe peripheral type things where they, they touch it once or twice a year. One person happens to know the details, not the whole team, or the person who knew that detail left the company last year. Right. So things like that also play into that. Okay. Now, what about dependencies? Because I know that's something we're always trying to eliminate, but I'm assuming that there's going to be some product backlog items where you just can't get rid of the dependencies. That's right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's a critical component of you know story mapping is to identify the uh, dependencies and understand, you know, let's let's say it's a dependency even within my own team where I have the ability to, to build all of that, but it, it needs to be sequenced. And so maybe there's certain set of stories and work that, you know, I sequence in, in addition to priority, then it's the sequencing. I come in and I'm looking and saying, I've got to do this story in sprint one so I can finish stories two and three over here in sprint two. That's super important. Even more important is that particular dependency where I've got something I don't control in my team and I have an external dependency. As okay. if, if I'm not clear on my own team yeah. when that needs to be done, and that really is 100% dependent on alignment, understanding, priority, and commitment from the other team, I've immediately introduced uncertainty into my timeline. And that then makes us a little bit more at risk of, of not being able to make a meet a commitment. 
Okay. Now, since you just mentioned risk, are you tracking, I'm going to ask about a couple of things at once, like risk or cost or any other factors that a traditional person would be kind of happy to see with these product backlog items, or is it enough just to know size, priority, and dependencies? That's a fun question. Um, I'm going to give you my answer <laughs> and see if I get myself in trouble with some of my colleagues here. Because you also come from a project management background. I do, yes. Yeah. So so at the story level with the delivery team, I think that's a bit uh, excessive and a bit overhead. Um, there are certainly some product like specific teams where that might be necessary. I'm typically looking at things like cost, duration, risk at more of a feature level um, okay. in, in a more of a traditional kind of program portfolio level view of the backlogs. Those backlog items that feature an Epic, yes. Story level, I think they play into it. Uh, in fact, what I may actually have at the story level are stories to play to help reduce the risk or help reduce uncertainty or costs. Okay. All right. Um, so before I go bug you about stories and features and epics, are there other things that other elements you think we should be including? There are, and you get into the things like the definition of ready and definition of done. And I don't want to necessarily labor all of those. I but think those are, but they're outside of the backlog items. I mean, they are, but I think they, they, they feed into what should be included in it. Right. Okay. So, need to have really clear uh, acceptance criteria so I know you know what who, who's looking at that what and for what when I, I go to close that story and acceptance but uh, I also want to be cognizant of that as the product owner yeah. that if my team has been very explicit about what definition of ready looks like uh, I need to be able to accomplish that and at least converse if not completely meet that uh, that need for them okay okay now, what about the idea of user stories being, well, first of all, everything being a user story or even all the user stories being well-written? A lot of people get hung up on that. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean on that one. Well, okay. So one of the things I, I get a lot of folks in class who believe that everything in the product backlog has to be written in user story format. Yeah, as a, I want to, so I can. And then I get a lot of people who are really hung up on becoming really great at writing user stories. Yeah. And I'm just curious about your position on this. My position on that is, oh man, that's a tough one. So I, I started out in that same vein, you know, as a product owner, I really wanted every story to be from, you know, persona driven as a, you know, this persona I want. So that uh, often would find that that made it, more complicated in some of the cases for my development team to consume and understand. So it started to, to think through uh, like how they would break that story down would to me look like tasks and technical tasks. And we, we had this conversation. I remember this team once is probably about eight years ago and they're telling me it just makes more sense for us to work from these technical stories for these reasons. And I said, well, technical stories don't exist. Uh, and, and, they, yeah, but then you get the, as a database administrator, I want to have a database so that I can administrate it. Right. <laughs> yes. So there's a, a balance between this, right? And so and I think there's this unicorn of the right kind of story. And in some cases, it does need to be persona driven because you really want to drive that, especially if you're looking at something that's very product specific, right? Yeah. I think there are some other cases where it might be more about uh, security or uh 
the availability of data where it is a little bit more technical and it's super difficult. It may not even make sense to express that from that as a, you know, persona kind of perspective. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I would look for, uh, and this is one of the things, especially when we're working with a lot of teams that we look for is, are they taking a story uh, and breaking that? And really what they're, they're doing in the backlog is they're creating a whole list of tasks. Yeah. And so, you know, here's Jeff's t- tasks, here's Dave's tasks, here's AJ's task. Uh, and they're still going back to some of those kind of old habits and bad smells of, of, of teamwork where we're breaking it down by specific function or specific yeah. platform or things like that. So there's there's some balance between all of those. Okay. Now, do the stories have to be good or they just have to be good enough to start a conversation? They have to start in, in a position where it's good enough to have a conversation. Okay. Uh, in in backlog refinement, I would often find some of those stories that conversation was sufficient. You know, the, the team could take it, they could estimate it, they could break down their tasks. I didn't have to do much more with it. You know, so what I thought would need more work, team accepted and, and said, "Yeah, it's good enough for us." There are others where I would go into that conversation thinking it was good enough. There were some specific parts of that conversation when we're refining the backlog where I really did need to go back add some additional details either in the story or in the acceptance criteria to make it super clear as to what that was, you know, unambiguous, answering certain questions, making sure I got feedback from the customer where it was necessary, those types of things. So it's, it has to be good enough to start the conversation. That's the intent of the backlog refinement is to get super focused on what it is necessary to then take it into the planning and, and delivery. But is it is it safe to say that most of the time, whatever you wrote, you thought was good enough until they explained to you that it wasn't? Saving yes. the team? The team. Well, yeah, yeah. of course, right? I, mean, I, I, I try to, to pride myself on, on, on at least doing that part of the work. And uh, I can remember some conversations where I, I, in my head, if not out loud, was saying, are you serious? You can't understand this. But um, <laughs> that was really good feedback for me too, right? It was like, oh, I didn't think about that perspective. Uh, and then the hardest one for me was where I was taking and I was, because I came from like even before stories, I was into the use cases. And so I had, you know, my 50 scenarios per use case. And okay. so I, I started out writing stories that way. And the hardest conversation for me to accept was the team telling me, we don't need that much detail. Yeah. And then me looking at it and saying, well, how are you going to test it? We say, right. we're, we, we know what we're doing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> trust me, trust, it'll be trust fine. Me. Yeah. Where's the mic machine? That's right. <laughs> yeah. The All other right. thing that, that I find with teams, especially a lot when we, we're coaching teams, is you find where they, they've built this cultural or procedural kind of situation on the team where it's just safer for them to document everything take the order, not leave yeah. anything unchecked. Because in the past, if they made a mistake, they got burned or burned, right? Yeah. So so overcoming that hurdle is sometimes a little bit uh, more complicated because they don't need that from a like understanding, intellectual, able to deliver perspective. They're using that more from a, a safety CYA perspective. Yeah, but that and that's a much bigger, bigger yeah. issue about trust and culture and things like that. Yep. Um, all right, so... What about, I'm going to step on the limb, or I'm going to push you onto the landmine. What about the difference between epics, features, stories, themes, and however you want to com- combine those words together? Because you've used them. I do, all the time. Yes. Yeah. So let, let me start from my, um, 
how, how I feel and believe in my heart. And then I'm going to come back to how I operate in the real world. How's that? And at some point, you've got to clarify the leading agile official answer. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. And so, and, and my hope and belief, honestly, is that this will, this will align very closely, if not directly, to our leading agile official answer. So okay. in my heart, in my mind, I believe that stories, features, epics, themes, initiatives are all the same thing. They're just collections of stories. Okay. They're big stories. You know, it's like at, at the initiative or you know, kind of theme level, I'm like, as a business unit, I want to double revenue over the next, you know, 10 years so that we can continue to grow and improve our market share. That's a story. It's just a super big story and it's, it's not executable. Right. Right. Uh, and so what I have to do then, and this goes from the, you know, in my heart and mind, I believe it's just all stories in operations in how we do that, how we implement it is I have to get to, you know, again, it's all about getting to working tested software in short increments of time. I'm not going to double revenue, uh, you know, in 10 years in one release. So how do I break that down? And that's where we think through, if I want to get to road mapping, you know, how far am I going to make progress toward doubling my revenue over the next three, six, nine, 12 months that I need to have a pretty good picture of that helps me determine what I'm going to do in the market, what I'm going to do, you know, internally, what procedures, processes, people are all involved. And then I start to think from that level, all right, here's what I want to do over the next year from a roadmap. Well, how's that break down to my releases that are scheduled every month or every two weeks for the, the next quarter or six months. And so right. I do that and I'm breaking those epics down to, you know, in our terminology, we use features and I've heard, you know, six different versions of this out in the, the market, they call them sub features or sub epics and all these others, but we use the term features. That's a, a time bound specific goal set, you know, something that's measurable and releasable all at the same time. So I'm looking, what can I do? How can I get it into my customer's hands, get them to interact with it, give me feedback, help me validate that my roadmap for the future is still valid. That's still too big. I don't want to give something to a team and just say, hey, good luck. Come back to me in three months when you're done. Okay. So we start to break that down. And this is really where those, those you know, kind of story mapping, managing your risks and your dependencies, orchestrating across multiple teams, if necessary, gets super involved. And that's where we, we start to build out the stories. Uh, usually on these large, you know, kind of complex systems, it's not one delivery team. You're, you're working those feature sets and those certainly those epics across many delivery teams, potentially even different platforms, got infrastructure involved. I may even have external teams that are involved that are more operational and, and those types. So I've got to bring them all together. And that's where this mechanism with the story gets involved. Okay. So I'm going to try to draw a very strange parallel that I might have to edit out of the podcast. Okay. I am Marvel and I want to make... I want to tell a really gigantic story about superheroes and make a ton of money doing it. Yeah. What's the highest level from what you were just talking about? The highest level would be an initiative. The highest level in that particular case, I would call an initiative. Yes. Okay. And I, so, I would have a different, I would have a difficult time in that case, differentiating between initiative and theme. So I, I like that term initiative the best. Okay, so that's the biggest container we're talking about. And yeah. that's going to end up eventually being 22 different movies. There you go, yes. So each okay. of those movies is a is an epic. 
Okay. So the theme then could be, I've got the Avengers movies. I've got the Captain America movies. I've got yeah. Spider-Man. Each of those is a theme. And then within each theme, we have epics. Yep. Each Avengers movie. Great. And then stories, which could be what part scenes in the Avengers movie. I think stories would be like the scenes. Yes, absolutely. And if, if I'm thinking about, I'd like your thought on this. If I were thinking about features, I'm thinking more about plot lines. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I was going. And if we were story mapping it out, I'd be like, well, we've, okay, we've got to bring, you know, this person back to like, we've got to get the glove off of Ultron. We've got to da 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 da. That's right. Plot points. Well, yes. The story map. And you're weaving that together as well. So, and then think of this from our release perspective is I'm not going to tell you all the stories for one plot line for 40 minutes and then move to the next, right. To keep it interesting, to keep it valuable, to keep it tied together. Oh, this you're is good. Weaving those all yeah. parts. Right. And so my, my first kind of, you know, scene is a set of plot lines where I'm pulling all these stories together and weaving it in such a way that it's interesting and engaging to the customer, the, the viewer. Yeah, because if you went to see Endgame and they just had all the like Hawkeye scenes and all the Nick Fury scenes and all the Spider-Man scenes like in sequential order, that would be horrible. They don't all make sense, right? right. And it, just like a, a customer is like you're waiting until the, the, the last you know end of the, the three hours where it finally all comes together. And I'm like, oh, I get it. Uh, but half of the you know the audience has left already because they, they lost. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> This is okay. This was fun. I didn't know if that was going to work. I feel like that did. I think it did. Worked really right. well. I like that and, a lot. And now you talked about your heart of hearts with these different things. And I would like to share my heart of hearts is that, and I want to see where you are with this. We have a way of talking about this stuff, which we just, you know, went through. And my experience has been that in all the different companies, in all the different places, all over the world, they use the terms to mean different things. And there is no one universal truth of what an epic is, a feature is, a theme is, an initiative is. Whatever words you're using, those things are combined however they're combined in your company and people are calling them whatever they're calling them. Yes. That is but true. It, but an epic is something that's too big to do, always. And, and ultimately, that is that is the reality of things. And, and what's fun is when you walk in, I have a client that's doing this right now. And what they've done is they've flipped the term feature and Epic that we use. Uh, and they flipped it upside down from my perspective, right? Where the feature is bigger than the Epic. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I've, I've been working in this other structure. So yeah. oftentimes what we have to do, I think this is critical, whether you're, 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 say a product owner moving from one company to another or your consultant working with one client versus another. And in our case, and we work, we still work in leading agile, but multiple clients like this one, you know, they have different terminology, right? There's, it's an opportunity to organizationally align on what is an Epic, what is a feature, what is a story. And usually you'll find that you have to do that at the, the kind of the uh, top level with the whole organization You'll even have to do it all the way down to specific delivery teams and individual you know, development team members. Because as one developer, let's say you and I are developers on the same team, yeah. we may start out with a different idea about what a story is. Part of the, the goal is to align on what those two things really mean so that we can get better at it as we go. Cool. All right, I got one more question for you. Shoot. And then I will let you go enjoy the rest of your day. Yes. Um, 
we've, I, I think we would both agree that in a company that's approaching, you know, trying to approach work from an agile perspective, you want to have a definition of done and you want to have a definition of ready. Yes. And we agree that having a well-formed backlog is a very important part of making this stuff work. Do you think that companies should come up with a definition for themselves of what a well-formed backlog item is just so that they have that? Because it might not meet the definition of ready. If it's well way down at the bottom of the backlog, we could still try to make sure it's well-formed. So you see if I understand. Um, it- Definitely at the team level, each team's going to have a little bit different definition of, of ready and done that they're working on specifically. Right. Um, and then when, when we're building this kind of a scale, we do the same with our program teams. So we're looking at what is the definition of done and ready within a feature set. Yeah, but let's say that I'm in the PMO and I'm yeah. trying to help these new teams understand when I say, okay, you got to have well-formed backlog items. They don't know what that is. There might be some stuff in there that's going to meet the definition of ready and some stuff that doesn't, but I'd still like them to have an idea of what, what, how do we know this stuff in the backlog is healthy? Yes, got it. So I, I think that is an important piece. And, and I think about the organizational playbook and how we're kind of managing it and running this across an organization. Having that starting point, having that expectation is important. Uh, where it exists is less relevant. You know, I think it's, it's something that a PMO has opportunity for. If it's an organization with the transformation office, certainly there. Uh, if you have an agile COE, they may help drive that. So organizationally, though, having a starting point is, is important because that then sets expectations not within a delivery team that heart starts to set it across the whole organization, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Dude, this was awesome. Thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. Always good to join you. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to get in touch with me is email me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at leadingagile.com. Cool. All right, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, and I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks, Dave. Cool. Bye.